You are listening to the Labour Talk podcast, produced by John Beattie. Subscribe on iTunes or listen at soundcloud.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another Labour Talk podcast. Now, this is going to be a long podcast and I'll tell you why. Because I recorded some of the speeches and the contributions at a recent public meeting we had in Govan. And it was the Govan and South West Morning Star Readers and Supporters Public Meeting. And the theme was poverty, homelessness and the housing benefit cap, which has, funnily enough, been in the news this week um, quite prominently. Now, the speakers, the guest speakers were Councillor Matt Kerr. Matt was the former head of health and social care at Glasgow City Council and knows a lot about this issue. And one of the other contributors was Margaret Wood, who's a Unite the Union steward, and she works in Western Bartonshire Council and she deals with people who are declaring themselves homeless. And the speeches and the contributions from the people in the audience were, were fantastic and I've sat here for about an hour mulling over what to do so I decided I'll just put the whole thing on the podcast and people can listen to it at their leisure and um, it's really it's really worth listening to it's absolutely fantastic. So that being said the chair of the meeting was Kath Campbell so it'll be Kath you'll hear introducing the the speakers and taking the questions from the the audience. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, it's a really fascinating and very powerful and very moving podcast. Now please forgive us because throughout the podcast you'll hear sirens and you'll hear there's there's always a dog barking when we have these meetings in Govan. There's always a dog outside the the venue and it, it seems to start barking at the second the uh, the meeting gets good, so you'll hear that, so if you hear it through your headphones, don't worry, don't panic, it's it's just happened on the night. That being said, I'll, I'll let the podcast play now, and remember to subscribe on iTunes, we've got a Twitter page and we've got a Facebook page, and that's Labour Talk Podcast, and thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. First of all, I just want to thank everyone for coming along this evening, especially as it's such a miserable evening outside to this latest meeting of the Govan and South West Morning Star Readers and Supporters Group uh, meeting, as you know, tonight's meetings on poverty, homelessness and the housing benefit cap. And my name's Kath Campbell and I'm chairing the meeting tonight. I'm really glad to have a log tonight to speak on my left-hand side, Margaret Wood, who is a homeless accommodation officer yeah, in Western Barnetshire Council and also a Unite steward on my right. Matt Kerr, who is current Labour Party councillor and also was recently the Labour Party candidate in, I uh, can't remember, Glasgow South West, Paul, yeah, South West in the, the general election. Okay, so I'm delighted to have them both along to speak this evening. So we're going to hear first of all from Matt, then from Margaret, and then we're just going to open it up for questions and discussion. Okay, so Matt. Thanks very much. Um, and firstly, it's nice to be back here again, and the numbers are, are building up every time we hold these meetings in here at the moment. It's really encouraging. Um, and in the longer term, obviously we're talking, you know, about constituting a group and so on. I hope this is the, the, the start of a, of a wider kind of consciousness building. 
in this area and throughout uh, the city and beyond. And Morningstar is a key role to play in all of that, um, bringing the various strands of the left together um, to think about what we have to do uh, in the situation we're in. I'm very conscious today as well, of course, with Margaret here, that um, I'm in the presence of somebody who's an actual a bona fide expert in this, and I, I, all I am is, is, the, is the politician who's come along and tried to learn a bit um, as I've gone. And uh, I was just here, and she's 32 years of experience, that's frightening. I presume you started when you were five. Um, but uh, I, I'm not even going to try and, uh, and, and kind of encroach upon that. What I, I will do tonight, I think, is telling you about the story I've, in terms of the journey I've been on in the last few years in dealing with welfare uh, reform in the city, because I've found myself holding positions um, both in the city in the city administration um, where um, I've been kind of on the front line of that. So if we go back to 2010, um, I was made convener of social work, um, at the, as was. And with that role came with it the, the responsibility to respond to welfare reform and, and uh, formulate policy um, with, uh, to, you know, to, to respond to it adequately, um, but also uh, to try and figure ways around some of the problems we were facing. One of the first blows that hit us, although it's not directly a welfare issue, was um, within a couple of months of me taking post, the, I, I had my first argument with Damien Green, and um, he cancelled the asylum contract with Glasgow City Council, um, which was a, a truly appalling decision, um, based on saving actually very little money. He went to Parliament, announced it was going to another provider, why people, without actually telling why people that they got the contract. Um, I don't know where to begin uh, with the mess that, that left, but also left the council out of pocket as well. And you find in social work, you're always talking about, you know, these are the most vulnerable people. Um, and it feels like every group you're dealing with in social work feels like the most vulnerable people, you know. And, and you don't want to get into a competition, but, uh, but asylum was definitely uh, something I think we had worked at and got, got to a place we were doing pretty well with in the city, and it got uh, really tragically undermined. I like to that, the next thing that came along on my desk was a change um, uh, in terms of homelessness around a supplement that was paid to us to house the homeless um, through the benefits system. And there was, a, there was a little change in it. Now, somebody sitting in the office, office in Whitehall probably didn't think that much of it when they changed it, but it had, and, and it didn't affect, this in itself didn't affect many authorities dramatically in the way it, it did in Glasgow. And what it was is, is we lost this supplement if we were not housing people in council-owned accommodation. Now, for most authorities, that's not the end of the world because you'll own your own accommodation, you'll have your council house stock, you'll have your hostels, whatever, whatever um, types of provision you may have. Uh, Glasgow, we had some hostels, but we didn't have any houses because we transferred them all away some time ago. So that left us immediately with a big bill um, at, uh, through the homelessness budget, about two, three million pounds at a, at a sink before a ball was kicked. And I wrote a wee letter to, to Baron Freud um, saying, you know, like this is, I, I can't believe, you know, with respect to our, our, our different ideological positions on this matter, 
Um, I, don't, I, I thought, I don't believe for a minute you would want to be discriminating against housing associations in this. And I got a very dismissive letter back saying, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not changing, this is, this is what it is. And of course it was signed off Baron Fraud. Because his PA probably didn't like him very much. And I've, I've since found out that a number of people have actually received letters from him that was or signed off Baron Fraud. I've kept the letter. And, uh, and it, it seems to be uh, kind of symptomatic of, of, of what came later with the bigger ticket uh, welfare reform stuff. I'm proud to have called a, a guy called Bob Holman, my friend um, and comrade, a bit of an inspiration, I have to say. Um, Bob just lived up the road in his later years up in Moss Park. And Bob, lifelong socialist, um, Bob was the guy who took Ian Duncan Smith round Easter House in that infamous visit all those years ago. And I remember speaking to Bob afterwards and saying, you know, saying to him, what, what are you thinking, you know? <laughs> Ian Duncan Smith was in opposition, remember, at this point. So what were you thinking taking round? And Bob was saying, he, Bob always thought the best in people. He said, no, I think he got it. I think he got it. I think he understood. I really do. And boy, was Bob disappointed later on. What was getting talked about in that, in that, uh, at that time. What was in Ian Duncan Smith's mind when he was talking to people there who were living with and living in uh, poverty? He was already formulating in his mind the, what, is, uh, what is now causing chaos, uh, length and breadth of the country, uh, universal credit. And it will cause more if it gets ruled out properly. It's the typical thing, typical solution. And I have to say the Labour Party's done this as well, and it, and it should shoulder um, a chunk of blame too. Every government has taken office at Westminster level, certainly in my lifetime, probably, probably before, and they've said, we'll tinker about with the welfare system, we'll fix, we've identified some gaps that we're going to fix, and we'll make it simpler. They always say that, we'll make it simpler, we'll simplify the system. And at the end of it, what happens is, there are people who are left by the system, and the system always becomes more complicated at the end of it too. The idea, the, the theory behind uh, universal credit, you know, with everything being rolled up into one payment, wasn't just about simplification, of course. There was, a, there was, an ideal, there was another ideological angle, or there was an ideological angle at that, and it wasn't just about the cuts. It was about Ian Duncan Smith's way of looking at the world in terms of what he regards as personal responsibility. He thought the idea that people were getting payments fortnightly um, to not be conducive to people being able to look after themselves. So you, you, if you're being paid monthly, um, then you will learn, you will teach yourself how to budget and you will, you will adapt. It's a kind of classic kind of Tory way of looking at the planet, to be quite honest with you. Um, you just let, let, you know, you, you let the things run free and people will just adapt and they will, everybody will suddenly stop, uh, not, not have to worry about all the stresses in their lives day in, day out and uh, you know, the chaos sometimes that some people's lives are in, and they'll magically be able to budget overnight for a full month. Another thing that popped into my head, of course, was, was the memory, um, you know, was sad, uh, thankfully it's, it, it had entered folk memory to some extent, was when the days when the local money lender would, would have the child benefit book, and uh, when it time came round to claim it, they would pop down the post office with, with the claimant. It seems to me if you're being paid a relatively large sum of money, potentially, um, or 
obviously insufficient, but, but in and of itself a, a large lump of money, and you've had to wait a period of time for that, longer than you would have otherwise. I think it's a kind of money lender's charter, to be quite honest with you. And you can imagine uh, the difficulties that that can cause in, in communities like this, and uh, communities um, <coughs> like, like this, the length and breadth of the country, where people are under huge pressure. It also means rents don't, potentially rents don't get paid as rents get, uh, as the as the housing benefit money gets paid to the individual uh, more and uh, really and by exception only to the to, to the uh, to the landlords. It's not certainly understanding at, at present. These are these are things that to somebody like Ian Duncan Smith, he would think, well, you know, you give this money to people and they will then they will then know how to make the best judgment. It's their money, then they will they, they will make the best use of that money. And they will budget, and everything will be everything will be all right in the night. But we know, in the communities we live in, that life isn't that simple. People's lives are complicated, and one of the one of the issues with the, the benefit system, every time a reform is hatched, I'm all for simplifying it and making it easier for people to enter it and get what they need out of it, and get the support they need out of it that they deserve as a, as a, as a member of our, our society out of it. I, I have no problem with that, their, their kind of gateway being, being simplified, but I have a problem with a system uh, being simplified to, to, to the extent where it doesn't understand how complex people's lives are. And there are, you know, the, the, this benefit system is a mess, as I said earlier on, but it's a mess partly because our, 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 many of our communities, frankly, are in a mess after decades of neglect um, from successive governments and uh, decades of lack of investment. In, in communities, in people, and in people's worth and self-worth, and in their talents. And if you if you have those those kind of things coming together, you have a real recipe for disaster. I like to. I should jump uh, back a little bit. Last time we had a meeting here, and um, I did talk quite a bit about rents and rent control. I'm, I've, I've been banging on about this. Um, for, for quite some time, and there's, there's a lot of views uh, all over the place on that, to be fair. And um, there are 101 ways of delivering rent control. But let's be clear about what cuts in housing benefit uh, and, and what adjustments to housing and benefit are, and being extremely generous using the word adjustment. The, the government, the Tory government, has decided that welfare spending is out of control and that housing benefit payments are out of control and its solution to them is, is, is cut that in various ways and shapes and forms and how they, how they dole it out. And the, but they're not dealing with the problem. The fact that they might be moving to a system where you're handing this money, into, uh, putting uh, somebody's rent money into their hand, doesn't mean that it's their money. The people who benefit from housing benefit are the landlords. And when you hear these pernicious stories in the press, day in, day out, about somebody living in Kensington and claiming 20 grand in housing benefit or some such utter tripe, remember that if that is actually a real example, and you know what, why shouldn't, why shouldn't working class people be able to live in Kensington? It's their, it's their land too. If, that money is not going into their bank accounts. It's not being squirreled away by them in some Swiss bank account when, you know, in, in, you know, in a few years' time they'll, they'll swan off to the Caribbean and enjoy a, enjoy a lovely retirement. No, not at all. What's happening is it's, 
it's, it's funding a one-way bet. Um, on on, the, on another asset, asset bubble, which is already starting to grow as a result, partly a result of the quantitative easing over the, over, over the last decade as well. And we're just repeating the same error all over again. You know what? I've, got, I've got not got a problem with us spending less on welfare. But I have a problem if it's at the expense of welfare. And people must come first in all of this. I don't have a problem with giving landlords less money. I have a problem with people not being able to pay their rent. I have a problem with people not being able to have a home that's, that's dry, that's, you know, that, that's wind and watertight, and is secure. And this is another, another issue. Even in the social rented sector now, people um, are, are, are being... There's some interesting examples come up at Prime Minister's question today, actually about how, how uh, evictions are increasing. And what's happening, actually, with, to some extent, some so local authorities are in a slightly better position to deal with some of this, in that, in the, the, well, it's, in that they can soak up some of it. But that's, there's a limit to that, the way, the way uh, local government funding has been slashed over the last decade. Housing associations, who are reliant let's not forget, on private, you know, in large lumps of private capital to fund their building programmes, as well as, you know, grant, capital grants from government and local government. I mean, GHA, for example, went to Luxembourg to get their five, 500 million bond to start rebuilding houses. So when the bankers in Luxembourg, I, 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 I'm, I'm dreading going down the kind of gnomes of Zurich type of a speech here, you know, for those of you old enough to remember that nonsense. But the, you know, if we get to a situation where those those bankers down there in Luxembourg start to think, well, actually, this is less of a safe bet than it looked at the beginning. Well, then the interest rates will go up. And not only will housing associations be having to deal with a, a situation which is already tightening in terms of rent arrears, but they'll also have to deal with in increased repayment costs. And all of this fits into, of course, the wider Tory ideology. What, what do they want? Well, they, they, what they want is to look after their own class. It does make me laugh when you hear people like Theresa May mocking people on the left of the Labour Party, talk, you know, particularly momentum, and saying, oh, you know, they're class warriors, class warriors. She's a class warrior. She's a class warrior. She's fighting day in, day out for her class. That's the landlording class. That's the class that are determined to concentrate more and more of the asset wealth of this country in their hands and take them out of ours. And every day that goes past, as the housing benefit gets paid, and as, and as those asset bubbles grow, these people can accumulate more and more of that asset, uh, of that asset uh, capital in the, in the country. And the, the chronic state of, and that then feeds the chronic underinvestment in our economy, in our people, and a lack of income for the government. Because how many of these big landlords are really paying proper rates of income tax on their income? They're not. There's 101 ways around it. We all know this. So, without jumping back to what I'd said last time I was here, we do need to talk seriously. Um, as a, from my point of view as a Labour Party, about how, how we actually rebalance who owns assets in this country. 
And I, I, I know I keep going back to this, and you might think it's going off a little bit for the theme of tonight's meeting, but I think it's absolutely core to it. Because if we're to tackle um, what, what's at the heart of the narrative around the welfare benefit system, we need to start talking about who owns this economy. And the answer should be, from a left perspective, from a Labour perspective, from the perspective of, of, of I would hope, uh, since you're at a Morning Star meeting everybody in this room, is that the economy should be owned by us, all of us. Each, all of us have an equal stake and all of us having a stake in its future and all, and, and, and all that goes with that in terms of in, investing in our, in our families and our, in our, in our children going forward. It's back to the old thing. Um, you can't, I can't ever accept that, that children growing up in Govan are any less able than the children living up the road in Newton Burns whose parents own the houses that the, the kids in, uh, growing up in Govan live in. It's a fundamentally unfair situation and that needs to be addressed if we're actually going to get in and around the welfare system. In the here and the now, we've experienced a, a spike in food bank use, which is obviously... We've said before, many of us have maybe have done things in terms of supporting a local food bank. Food banks are, e are excellent initiatives, initiated by decent people trying to do the best by their, their communities. But it's appalling that they exist. And we cannot allow ourselves to get used to that. You must, we must continue to be appalled by it. The spike in use over the last few months, we've noted, certainly in the southwest, I, I dare say there's been a similar pattern elsewhere, seems to, be, seems to correlate with the lowering of the benefit cap at the beginning of this year. The initial level of the benefit cap, it's the nature of, of rents uh, in this area. It didn't affect so many people in, in Glasgow. It did affect some, but it didn't affect huge numbers. It is now affecting thousands. So it is, that, is having a, that is having a very real effect on, on families uh, all, over, all over the city now. When you are in that position in local government, in Scottish government, in UK government actually, you, well, the UK government have made it clear they're, they're, not, they're not interested. They're, they're buying into this narrative that, you know, that, 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 that Welfare payments are all about people living in Kensington and claiming massive amounts of money, and we must we must cap this to do something about this. And they presumably they either hope or they just don't care uh, that rents might might shift to adjust. It's, it always amazes me that, that Tories are not very good at understanding how markets work. Landlords, or they pretend not to understand how markets work. Landlords will always extract the maximum they can. Um, but. What can we do here and now, I think, um, around the benefit cap? Now, I, I am enormously frustrated because I have, for, for now for six months, I've, I've been trying to sell the idea to people that we can do something about the benefit cap in Scotland with the powers we have um, and actually for a relatively small sum of money in the grand scheme of things. The calculations we've done in Glasgow City Council, um, I, we were working on this in the run-up to the general election, sadly, because I'm, I'm no longer in office, uh, or in the, in the council, but no longer in, in, in an executive role. Um, it's trickier to keep some of this work ongoing, other people have got my job now, you know. But our best estimates was that £2 million in Glasgow could mitigate the benefit cap. That's the cost of mitigating it in Glasgow. 
Now, two million pounds is a lot of money. It's also not a lot of money um, in, the term, in terms of lo even local government spending, never mind Scottish government spending or anybody else. There was an estimate done, and this is a bit more sketchy, that, that to mitigate it across Scotland would be something between 13 and 16 million pounds. There's a lot more work would have to be done to kind of get to, to drill down in exactly what that figure might be. And it has been suggested to me, um, although I think this more work could be required, that, that this could be done through the DHP, uh, so discretionary housing payments, uh, which was the method that was chosen to mitigate the bedroom tax. Should that turn out to be possible, that the DHP limits have been lifted, that could literally be done tomorrow. It doesn't take an act of parliament. It doesn't, it doesn't even take the minister to report to parliament. Literally, a minister tomorrow could say, right, I'm directing £16 million of departmental spending to this because it's a priority. And you watch the bank use and hope drop a little. It would certainly take the edge off things. Does it solve all the problems? Clearly it doesn't. But what frustrates me, and what frustrates me, uh, frustrated me for really some time, I, I've had the misfortune, I do well, I've had the great privilege actually of being an elected councillor for 10 years, but I've had the misfortune to, for the whole time, uh, uh, during that time of, of, of being a councillor, during times of, of budgets being cut year on year on year. And, and I'm Whilst I, without getting, you know, dying in a ditch about where people stand on the independence issue and all the rest of it, I am getting a little bit sick of having a government, and I would be saying this if this was a Labour government up the road as well, incidentally, and I've been saying this to colleagues who, aren't, you know, who are sceptical skeptical about uh, mitigation exercises as well. They have a duty to act. When people campaigned for the Scottish Parliament all those years ago, campaigned on it, one of the big arguments for it would be a bulwark against the, just this sort of scenario. Does it, again, nobody's claiming that Scottish Government can or should, can or uh, you know, is fully able to, to mitigate everything that this Tory Government have done because such is the damage they've wrought upon the country. It, it would probably take, it's going to take a decade to undo half of it. I mean, again, I've said this before. You know, we, by the time we got to 2010, after a long period of, of Labour government, there's communities in this land still hadn't recovered from the 1981 budget. And we need to be honest about that as well. And damage that that, that done to small businesses, the damage that that done to our skills base, the damage that that done uh, to communities like, like Govan. It would take time, I understand that. But in the here and the now, I think if you're in a position to do, to do something, if you're in a position to do something, then you have a moral duty to act. And this, doesn't, this part of it is, doesn't come down to ideology, really. It shouldn't, actually. Um, it's nice if it does sometimes, but it shouldn't have to. You know, when I heard uh, John Swinney talk about, when people were talking about uh, benefit, uh, sorry, bedroom tax mitigation, and he hummed and hawed for a year, when we all knew there was a way of dealing with it, and he'd been told, and he'd been told so at the, at the committee, I'd said so, people from Housing, it's Federation for, uh, Scottish Federation for Housing Associations had said so at that committee. Um, and he said that, he used that horrible, horrible phrase that he didn't want to let the Tory party off the hook. Well, I, I would say to him, if you were here today, for, or Derek Mackay, his, his, his uh, successor, it's not letting the Tory party off the hook 
mitigating and helping your constituents to feed their families. That's not letting the Tory party off the hook. Actually, what it would be doing would be saying that, that you are taking the moral high ground, that you're willing to do what you can with what you have, which is all we can ever ask. And far from letting them off the hook, it puts them right on the hook. Because it says, it says to folk, these guys are not doing, are not carrying out their moral obligation as representatives of you in Parliament, but you know what we are, we are stepping up to the plate. And so I would, make, I would make that case in a cross-party sense. I'm trying not to be partisan about this as best I can, because I really want it to happen. And I don't want this to turn into a, uh, into a Labour SNP rally. I want it mitigated. I believe it can be done, and it can be done rapidly. It can be done for a fraction of the Scottish Government budget. Let's not forget the Scottish Government budget is around 13, 32 billion a year. I'm not under any illusions. I know that's under pressure. Local government budgets are getting cut over the place. I know the NHS is facing, in Glasgow, is, pay, is facing a 100 million black hole. There are all sorts of difficulties all over the place. But they have options. They can increase tax if they want to, if they chose to do so. But even if they chose not to increase tax, I would put it to you that £16 million pounds in a £32 billion pound budget is a rounding error. But it's a rounding error that is leaving people hungry in this, in this constituency and in constituencies all across Scotland. And so I put it to you that I, I, I intend in the, in, the, in the weeks and months ahead to be campaigning on that matter and I hope and get the support of comrades in the room on that score. Thank you. Thanks very much indeed. Matt, it was really comprehensive and a lot for us to be thinking about and talking about, not just tonight, obviously, but going forward. And now I'm going to ask Margaret to make a few points and then we'll open up the meeting up. Hi, I'm Margaret Wood. I'm a Unite steward with our Western Berkshire Council and I'm also a homeless tent accommodation officer with Western Berkshire Council. Um, I've, it's been quite good having Matt here, I think, tonight because I think it highlights the differences and the challenges between the different local authorities. Matt, you spoke about Glasgow not having any council housing and the effect that would have had on homelessness when you couldn't use the housing associations any longer. We in Western Barton, we don't have that problem. We fought off a stock transfer and we, we won it with the power of the people locally and managed to, to stop that happening. So all the council housing in Western Barton is ours. Uh, we have 250 homeless units there that, be, that are used all the time. Um, so, <laughs> being honest, Western Berkshire Council have probably robbed the fund for the homelessness by taking the maximum amount of money out of it and putting 1% from the general fund. Mm. So with the introduction of universal credit, it's going to be a huge challenge for us because they're going to have to start funding homelessness because up to now it's been a money earner for them, so we'll see what, what that brings. But I've wrote some stuff down, I'm a woman of a certain age and I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to miss anything and I'm sorry if I get into too much detail, but I just thought I would go through all the benefits a wee bit and hopefully I'll know bodies to death, alright? So just starting off with uh, the, the bedroom tax and the benefit cap, discretionary housing payments are mitigating the effects of them um, in Western Bartonshire. Um, through Scotland, there's 70,000 households 
um, affected by the bedroom tax. The Scottish Government have made available £57.9 million to local authorities, £47 million to fully mitigate the bedroom tax and £10.9 million to help mitigate be the benefit cap. We in Western Barton, and I can only speak tonight for Western Barton, we fully we use that money through the Scottish Welfare Fund to cover all benefit cap in Western Barton, so nobody in Western Barton is covered as paying out for the benefit cap, the shortfall. Um, we all know here, I'm sure I'm talking, preaching at the converted here, that the bedroom tax is nothing more than an attack on social housing. And just to give a wee example of that, a one-bedroom flat in Western Barton is roughly £76 a week. With the the two-bedroom flat in Western Barton is roughly £76 a week. We don't have enough one-bedroom flats to house people in. We've got a real shortage. So. When we're allocating somebody that flat, it's a £10.4 a week charge for that. And somebody living in a private let, one bedroom, they're paying um, £86.30 a week. So that's the difference of £20.94 for a flat with one less bedroom. So you can see clearly as a tag on social housing. Um, what is the benefit cap? I've just Put it down. Benefit caps £384.62 a week for couples and single parents with families and £257.69 for single adults. Um, the benefit cap in Western Barton affects mostly people that are coming through homes <coughs> and accommodation because, as I said, the rents are really high for temporary accommodation. So even with JSA, they're hitting the benefit cap right away. But as I said, we are using that money through the Scottish Welfare Fund so that the clients are only picking up that charge. Um, sanctions to benefits is the, the, a massive impact over the past year. Um, working on the front line, we have disgusted at the treatment that clients are receiving. A lot of them have been sanctioned for up to eight weeks, sometimes longer. Um, and that's sometimes just for turning, simply turning up two minutes late for an appointment. Um, they've got to use the phone to make the claim. Trying to get a phone, most of the clients, if they've got a phone, it's in cash converters. We've not got it long, it's in cash converters. There's no phones in the DWP offices and the council offices are not providing access to phones. So that very basic thing, you make a claim or phone them. It's, it's just not available, so that's a barrier for a start. A lot of the time they're on the phone for up to an hour and they're getting cut off during these calls as well. If it wasn't for food banks in their areas, and you're absolutely right, we should be appalled at food banks, because we, it, it's something that we should be need. But see, at this moment in time, without them, people would be dying of starvation. I mean, we're, it's common to see people that are showing signs of malnutrition, um, they're freezing, they're cold, they've um, got infections, small infections maybe in their fingers, no healing and it's moving about, running about their body. These are all signs of malnutrition because people aren't getting uh, the right food. Also, it's very, very common for people to be sitting without gas and electricity. That is very common, you'll find that in... 40% of houses that people are sitting without gas and electricity because by the time you've been sanctioned for eight weeks, 
The weekly standing charge of £1.91 is adding up on both metres over the weeks. So by the time you put £20 in each of your metres, it's, no, it's, it's just covering the standing charge. You're not even getting any gas or electricity for that amount of money that you put in. And obviously Matt's talked about universal credit. It is definitely the greatest challenge that we're going to face. I think it's going to be catastrophic. The consequences for tenants and landlords across the, the country is going to be horrendous. Um, everybody I'm sure will know what universal credit is, but I've just noted it down. It's the mixture of housing benefit, income-based job seekers, allowance, council, uh, child tax credits, income support, work tax credits, income-related DSA, and it's all paid in one monthly payment, and all claims are made online. <laughs> now, there's none of my tenants get access to the internet. When I went to universal credit training just a couple of weeks ago, um, suddenly the people that work in the job centre were going to become very helpful. We're going to make sure that they must have watched I Am Daniel Blake um, because that was very much put across that they're, they're going to coach them and they're going to make sure that everybody can use the computer before they start and everything. So obviously they've had a good look at the film and tried to cover every angle. But when a claim's made, there's going to be a seven-day waiting period. With new claims, there's exceptions that can be applied, but the way the sanctions have been applied, and I can't see many folk making the seven-day waiting period exemptions. The waiting days must be served at the start of the claim, so there'll be no entitlement to universal credit until the eighth day after the claim. So if you make a claim on the 24th of September, the end of your waiting days is the 1st of October. Your assessment period ends on the 31st of October and your payment will be received on the 7th of November. That's six weeks and two days after you've made the claim that you've got no access to any money whatsoever. The second payment will be made on the 7th of December, so it'll be a, a monthly payment thereafter. Everybody that's got injured the seven-day waiting period will not, get, will not only not get benefit for these seven days, they will, they'll never get that benefit, they will never get housing benefit for that seven days either. So every single person that's in seven-day waiting period is going to be in rent arrears. So we can see homelessness going through the roof because, as you probably know, housing associations and private landlords do not hang about when there's rent arrears. So if you maybe going with a few breaks, especially with zero hours contract, you've had a few breaks and you keep, you keep getting that seven day waiting period if you're not having any exemptions, you could gather up quite a bit of a rent arrears in a year. Um, and the benefit places a great demand on the client to provide the information during the assessment period and the DWP are already failing to meet that six week target to process the benefit but the government are rolling out regardless. Um, the known effects of universal care that have seen people in low income have been plunged into rent arrears, debt, homelessness, and instead of making it easier uh, for people that are in zero out contracts, the, the six-week wait for money is just too much. The 18 to 21-year-olds have been particularly hard to hit. They are no longer they have an automatic entitlement to housing costs. And in WBC, probably yourselves in Glasgow, we've got a high rate of youth presentation and it's due to the social problems in the area. Again, the exemptions, one of them is for them staying in temporary accommodation. 
which is fine, but what happens when the young person exit, exits the homeless process and they get into permanent accommodation? They're no longer entitled to that. So what do they do? Do they sit in homeless accommodation if they're 21, if they're old enough? Um, and I think that the thing that they feel, well, the government are going to feel to understand that they're a million miles away from it, but they feel to understand these young people, they've no doubt for it with their families. They're, they're coming and presenting because of physical abuse, mental abuse, um, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and they're just sometimes poor because their parents are no longer getting any benefit for them and they don't want to keep them. And they're asking them to go back. I did ask them about universal credit, how she was going to get them to stay in the house, were they going to go to the parents' house and ask them to keep them and force them to keep them? And she said, well, that might be an option. So we'll just need to, we'll just need to wait and see. Um, and the other thing is, they're looking, if the young person's getting an exemption, they, what they want is a police report or a social work report to evidence that, which could put the young person at greater harm, because a lot of like, the domestic violence, if a woman comes into us and says she's suffering from domestic violence, we don't ask her for proof. You take her word for it, because you can't ask somebody to go back to a dangerous situation, and it's the same with these young people, and that's what it's kind of looking like. Just going on to working in the front line within the homeless service, we tend to see the effects of any changes uh, first because we're dealing with the most vulnerable. When I started in the homeless section in 2003, people with addictions accounted for 88% of presentations through homeless. Um, their lifestyles were chaotic and this brought with it a high level of crime. That subsided for a good few years and we've seen a, a kind of few years of a stability where people, their choice of drug was alcohol. But alcohol, although it's got terrible effects in the body, it is affordable and it doesn't bring the chaos that heroin brings. But recently, we've seen a massive rise to going back to heroin again. Life's, people's lives are coming more chaotic. Um, but see when people have got no money and they've got no hope, that's what they turn to. And Really, a prison sentence is a lot better than some dealer chasing you for money. But we're, we're seeing that, and it started in the last maybe six, seven months. It's starting to go back that line. It's getting progressively worse and at a, a remarkable speed, to be honest. Um, so we'll, see, we'll definitely see a rise in crime. Crime's going to go through the roof. You're going to have housebreaking. You're going to have assaults. You're going to have drug dealing. And any money that we save through cutting the welfare budget, they are going to have to treble to mitigate the, the rise in crime because it's, it's, it's going to be horrendous. Um, I've, the last thing I've got is I've just got this the day for COSLA had a, a meeting, and this is our September uh, update, and it's just saying here. Uh, COSLA has been working with authorities in areas which have experienced the UC full service to gather data and impacts. Both East Lothian Council and Highland Council, which have been longest on UC full service, continue to report major increases in rent arrears, which are not reducing through DWP recovery as indicated by the DWP. Data gathered by both authorities also shows that average rents for those in receipt of UC are more than two and a half times for those in housing benefit. So it is going to have a horrendous impact. So really that's all I've got. So if anybody wants to ask any questions, I'm happy to answer them.
Thanks, Vivian. Thanks, Margaret. That was really useful, incredibly comprehensive, Dif difficult to listen to at parts, but fascinating information. And again, um, something for us to be talking about today and going forward. And can I just say, as a woman also of a certain age, it was fascinating to, to listen to you, in no way boring. And I'll just say, having gone to these meetings for 40 years, it's only other the women that ever complain about it. the fact that they might be going to bore their audience. And <laughs> <laughs> I've been bored many times, never by a woman. <laughs> But anyway, neither of the speakers today were in any way boring, they were both fantastic. So I'm just going to open it up now, if people have got um, any specific questions or more general points, we'll just keep it quite informal. It's just quite chilling, but uh, discussing there, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was last year in the SIP, we wrote about this Federal Transformation Plan, so it was like, what's our funding? How are we going to make it among the business organisations we're finding? I'm no, I'll be honest, I'm no political at all, I'm not affiliated to any political party. I couldn't do a party line for anybody, so <laughs> I've got no affiliation to SNP or Labour or anything. I just like fairness and equality and that is it. I'm always getting around for time here for that, but I can't do a party line. I just Tom like just I just, <laughs> I just like fairness. Oh, but I'm just saying it's just like it seems to be passing the buck, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Do the homeless, working homeless through the years, 
you find see the youngsters at the age you'll be working with them <coughs> they appreciate quite what you're doing now. You see later on in your twenties and thirties, people speak to me about things like that now and they'll say, see when I hang back, I was being able to go to such and such at this wee community group or this guy there that's showing an interest in me, see just the fact that you're there and that they can come and speak to you and you're obviously dead down to earth and approachable. You, you'll be making a much bigger difference than feeding them. You know, some kids don't get a breakfast. No. no. Just, what's this all about? Right. So, what's this? Yeah. Right. You, you go then, Mark. Right. Well, I was just, you know, you, you were talking about the, 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 the desolation of council housing in West, West Lambertonshire. Mm -hmm. um, as I say, throughout the world, that happened. And, Sailor Council housing and all the rest of it. But, but I, I, I work in, in Paisley in Renfrewshire in the college there and I took a group of students down to the council the Renfrewshire uh, council offices, Eddie Devine, place down there, and he gave them he gave them a wee tour and it was all to get them to know how. Anyway, he gave out an interesting fact sheet about Renfrewshire Council. I can't remember the numbers, I should have done my homework. But but it's not what, what it is is it's not just you know, all right, there's there's very little housing stock. I've sort of, I've been sort of left and there's all shared equity stuff and the housing associations all muddied. But even commercial properties, some of the students were asking, Renfrewshire Council used to have something like 840 something commercial properties, that's just shops maybe, or wee business units and all the rest of it. See, that, up until about 20 years ago, and now it's something like 40 something um, in space. So, so, you know, and, and these are these are resources. The resources, anyway, you know, that, that are at least within democratic control. Uh, but they're, they're, they're mm -hmm. all gone. Pretty much, half a dozen, or a handful of things left. What you, you found that a lot of these um, assets, certainly in Glasgow, I just say it's the same in other, other places. I suppose the nature of Glasgow is there's a lot of commercial property. Um, but I know it's been flogged off. And it's been getting flogged off for for a long period of time, and it's because we're broke. <laughs> it's, it's no other way. No, we look at the other the other thing. The thing we did, we found, found that uh, they, they didn't even do it the conventional way: sell it and then realise a capital uh, receipt because they realised they couldn't actually use that to, to fund anything. What they actually did was pass it all up and mortgage it all. So a lot of the commercial property that you'll see it was um, city property. Mm. It's now manages it, but it's an alley for Glasgow City Council. A lot of the property that's managed through uh, city property, there's a massive mortgage, there was a massive, I think it was Barclays or something like that, there was a massive mortgage taken out against it. And it, that then released, I think it was something like 200 million, something like that, a massive sum of money. Um, and that, because of the way that came across, that was then able to be used in a revenue way right now. Um, now that was a very elaborate way of getting around it, but do you know where a lot of that money went? Just to compound the uh, the, the, the error of all this, um, of it. It, a lot of that money went paying people's uh, voluntary redundancy money and pension top-ups to people who, who left early over the last ten years. So that that's the kind of situation that local governments in in Glasgow, because there is very little wiggle room for money. I dare say Western Barnes just in a summer sort of predicament. There is a there's a problem with lo how local government is funded across the board, to be honest with you. And, mm. But the problem is, the, the family silver 
if you like, in terms of these commercial properties, is uh, in many cases has been long since sold and resold or, or mortgaged to Hilton or whatever. Okay. And it's 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 leaving us vulnerable for the future. Thanks, Margaret. I've got a couple of people, so maybe take two or maybe three <coughs> points and then a bit more discussion. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, there's a lot of two types of uh, properties, vacant, one is short term, one is properties that are vacant for long term, like more than six months or something. Mm. Why can't we use those properties? The council uses its powers to open those properties, whether they are shops on high street or on different mm. streets in the city centre, or wherever they are, whether they are shops or flats or apartments or houses, Open them and make them like into temporary shelter homes for people who are homeless. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll just, just, yeah. just a wee point for what Ken talking about. We're talking about uh, the council no, no longer have a vast majority of houses. A lot of uh, housing associations are now privately owned. Now, Mill Bank Housing, as I know, for the last couple of weeks, have just got £20 million funding to, to build on the old Glasgow meat market. Mm-hmm. And they're also trying to get an additional 12 million. See, th- this is all government funds and things like that. Put into that. Could the council not get onto that? Because for someone who works in Glasgow City Centre almost every single day on the street, actually helping a lot of these people, I've actually seen homo- homelessness triple mm-hmm. in the last year. Mm-hmm. The people mm-hmm. sleeping in shop doorways. I'm actually getting in and cleaning up the needles and things like that when they're moving away and they're coming back and they're actually sleeping there. Because they can do their begging and all that as well with the miners. Now, it's tripled in the city centre. Now, that I went to help a guy point him out to, like, uh, where he can get something to eat and where he can get a shower and that in the city centre. Only the other day when he said he's, he's literally just out of prison, he's no home, he's nothing. And we basically had to put him onto the street to get himself a sleeping bag and things like that. It's, I mean, if all these houses that are building these places, and then, as I know someone, I'm going back to say, well, we only kind of let people from the Miller Bank area move into these houses. You know, like I said, saying, this is the government and these people are getting a £20 million budget, and now you're trying to get an additional £12 million, but you're turning around and saying, but we don't let the people that we want to live there in there. And it's all it's doing is it's keeping people in the streets and they're monopolising, especially when they told oh, they've got all loads of different land around Hag Hill for a pound. You know, and they've got all of this land which the council could have in trying to get the budgets from the government to then build social housing for, for the people, do you know what I'm saying, owned by the council, for the people, but no, let, let's get a private institution, £20 million, and oh by the way, we're going to get another £12 million, just so you can monopolise that area and you can have people living in it who you want to live in it, and you know, it should be opened up back to council land, you know, the council owned the land, the people owned the land, it shouldn't be owned by a, a private institution. Firstly, on the, on the commercial property Aye. question, because I did, um, while I was still kind of in power, if you like, um, I did chase this up, because I, um, and I got two answers. Yeah. One, which I, with a bit more investigation, I found out to be false, 
um, and the other one is, is, um, is a far messier one. The first, the first answer I got from senior officers was, there's no shortage of emergency accommodation. That was the first answer I got. There's, that there's no shortage of emergency accommodation in the city. That's the, that is that is the bona fide. Well, I, I, that that was that was actually the. I mean, I've got the emails. That's that's what I was told. Right, I was officially told by the people at the top of the tree. Now, well, just just I mean, I, I obviously digging deeper. It's quite obvious that that wasn't the case. Now, the, what were, what I was initially told was that the people you're seeing on the streets are people that can't go into the shelters because the shelters are dry, i.e. you can't drink and all the rest of it. Right? And that's the problem, because the care commissioners uh, won't, won't let us open a wetland. Right? Um, now, I, I would acknowledge that opening up a, a shelter um, that is wet, so to speak, um, adds additional complications to how you manage it, I get that. But um, the idea that it's impossible, um, I was, I was, I've never been convinced by it at all. It's clearly not the case, right? because other people do it, um, and presumably they get passed by the care commission, right? I hope they do. Um, but they do exist, and we know they exist in this city and other organisations are running them, and not the council. So, so something's not quite right with that, with that answer I got, and I've never really got to the bottom of that. The, the, the issue, um, so I, as far as I was concerned, that, that never went anywhere in terms of the, the idea that there was no shortage of emergency accommodation. But you'll still find senior officers in this council will still tell you that. But, and I think some of them actually believe it. Right? <laughs> Because I think it's the classic thing in a big organisation where everybody tells their boss that everything's fine, you know. By the time you get to the top, everything's wonderful, the rivers are flowing with lemonade and everything. So I think, that, I think that's part of the problem. But, well, that's a, that's a whole different... I'll come to that in a minute. But see on the commercial property, I looked into actually opening up commercial property, right? And again, I, I, I ran up against a, a thing there where they say, well, um, Getting this past uh, commission standard and all the rest of it, getting this through planning, planning were, were, all, were, were all over me like a, like a rash. Um, and there was all sorts of barriers put in the way to doing it. Now, I don't think that it's impossible. I mean, basically, from what happened from my point of view is I ran out of time, you know. Um, but I, I, I do think something's possible there. But we don't, have the, we don't have the commercial property we used to have, but we do have commercial property that we could use with the right, kind of, with the right creativity and the right effort. Um, but I have serious concerns about whether the people could have, uh, in officer land running that show, understand it. Sorry. Can I just mm -hmm. say, every time Glasgow sends somebody away when they're presenting as homeless, they're breaking the law. Mm -hmm. Quite simply, they are breaking oh, no, the we, law. They should, every person that presents the is entitled to 28 days mm -hmm. temporary accommodation until their case has been assessed. And if Glasgow City Council are failing to do that, they're, they're quite simply breaking the law. And it's time somebody took them to task. In Western Barton, nobody, I mean, nobody comes to the door and gets turned away. And I know there's hundreds in Glasgow, because the Hamish Allen Centre never have the phones, and folk will try your route because we will take everybody, because it's the humane, it's the decent, and it's the right thing to do. Nobody should not have a roof over their heads. Nobody should be ruthless. And anybody kidding on in Glasgow City that there's no a problem with homelessness is needing shot. Because there's something going <coughs> wrong with them. See, see, on, see on, on, on the point though that about, about people turning away, getting turned, I mean, they are getting turned away, I know they're getting turned away. Um, and to be a bit fair, uh, the council stuck its hands up to that. And you know, we, 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 the regular never came to us, we, we went to the regular and said, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't cope. 
And that, so we're already in and have been for a period of time now in effectively kind of special measures. Um, there, is, there, is a, there, is a, there is a real problem. We don't have, and and one, of the, one of the things we have to come back to is housing stock transfer. I think Western Bartonshire, you're in an enviable position from a, looking from Glasgow at Western Bartonshire. If, we ha if Glasgow still had full control of its housing stock, we would, have been a we would be in a, definitely be in a different place right now. Because we are having to deal with 60 to 67, I think, in the last count, different housing associations. Obviously, there's one very big one, but there's a whole lot of other ones. And the officers who are trying their best on the, in, at the kind of front line of this are having to deal with all that nonsense. You're getting stuff from some housing associations. Some housing associations are more keen on taking homeless cases than others, and we're having difficulty in reaching agreement with people. And, but this is the problem. There's agree agreements are required. Contact is required with 67 different uh, organisations. When it used to be... The homelessness service was part of the housing department. Not that it was perfect, of course, but the, the, the point was you could you, you, you had a direct route in, into into getting housing. Now, you know, you're talking about different housing associations agreeing if they fancy it, giving you a certain percentage of their available stock. But some of these housing associations are so small that the turnover of the stock is tiny, and you'll be lucky if you get one 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 house off off them in a couple of years. Some of them, to be quite honest with you, it's it's a really really appalling. Situation, and I, I'm, I'll say this as a, as a Labour Party member. You know, the, I, I, I am, and I, when I was still driving, I remember listening to the old debacle about the housing stock transfer on the radio as I was driving along at the Prince's Dock, um, doing my collection in the postman. And I, I remember hearing the vote come in saying that saying it was going to transfer, and I never agreed with housing stock stock transfer. And I, because, you know, the, the deal was at the time, you know, the, the Glasgow housing debt. This goes back to the cost of the right to buy anything. Like a lot of authorities are in a lot of housing debt. We had nearly a billion pounds worth of debt. So, but the government of the day, Mr Brown said, we'll write off this debt for you and give you the breathing space to kind of move forward with it, which obviously that sounds wonderful. But here's the catch, you transfer it. Now, my attitude to that was, if the money's there, then the money's there. And I, I, it, it, it's still a bugbear in mind that that, 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 couldn't have been, that that couldn't have been written off. Um, and allowed those properties to save within council lands. And, and what you've described there, it gives you, it gives you a flavour of the ludicrous stuff that has to go on in Glasgow City Council. We're, we're transferring land that we own to housing associations for a pound, and then the Scottish Government money that gets uh, in terms of capital funding for new builds and all that actually filters through the council, because you're still the strategic housing authority, and then it goes back out the door. But we don't actually have any real strategic, uh, real genuine strategic overview and power and accountability. That we would have had if it was still in our hands. So I, I, I look at I look at West Western Bartonshire with some envy. I have to say, they did, and they, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't make the same mistake that Glasgow did. I'm glad they didn't make the same mistake that it was made in Glasgow. Right, say. I'm going to take. Right, channeling my inner Bolshevik here, which is not difficult to do. I'm going to ask. Because People are really interested and they've got lots to say, but if people just raise their hand and let me know that they want to speak, and I'm going to take people that haven't spoken yet first. Okay, so, John. Right, Matt, you mentioned about um, the mitigation of Tory austerity, but um, the SNP Finance Minister, David Mackay, told the conference that they have been mitigating Tory austerity since 1314. So that's three <laughs> years. Did I hear that? I did. <laughs> 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 I like to say that. You know? Was it not quarter um, past one? Right, okay. 
I mean, that's so ridiculous. I don't know what you know. You've got. Um, I thought you were going to say 2014, you know, but no, 1314. Um, no, um, it wasn't even a Tory party in 1314. What do you want me to do? About five years ago, a serious point. Just when Matt was speaking about the medication, that's kind of thing. Now, talking about priorities in house rules, right? I mean, James mentioned about the fact that, you know, they're kind of quite quick to sell land for a pound and then they let private developers. The developers would then sell these flats for like 80, 90 in a, in a, in a hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, and the other thing is, I mean, we talk about class war here, right? You mentioned class war, and one of the things examples of that was fat children the right to buy. And you mentioned, you know, got even Labour government Tony Blair accelerated that that policy under under New Labour. But what is it? We, Matt, you remember because you're you're a former party. I think when people talk, I mean, this is this is this comes into the striver striver thing, right? The awful thing that people talk about, and there's this sense um, within people. But it's, I do think it's changing, not just in the Labour Party, but just in, in, because a bit like what Corbyn said in his conference speech, the, the centre of, of British politics is, is moving to the left, and I'm, I'm greatly encouraged to see that it is. So some of this language is starting to change, and I've noticed it is. But what, what you're talking about there is actually the kind of victory of Thatcherism. That's what you're talking about. She won the, she won the war of language. She won the, absolutely won the war of language. People, people um, talk about, uh, you know, if, 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 in fact, they associate you, uh, you associate aspiration with having, having your own home that you own. Now, this is, I've, I've just done it there. Your own home that you own. You can have your own home that you don't own, you know. Yeah. No. Or, not own, or don't own directly. <coughs> right? It could be communally owned. The, she won that battle, of our, uh, that, that battle, that culture battle, actually, that culture war. Absolutely did. And we're still, I mean, all of us are, 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 are wrapped up in it in some way, shape or form, right? Whether we like it or not. We're all, we're all tangled up. Um, and like, we know the battles that are going on in the Labour Party. Um, you know, there are some people, if you look at what in recent leadership contests in the Labour Party, I'm not talking about the present one at the moment, the, the one that was happening last year and the year before that, um, you know, where you had different candidates. You had the candidate of the left who thankfully was, was triumphant, but, um, and you had the other one, or if we talk about the most recent one, Owen Smith. And he decided to focus on, I'm about aspiration. Yeah, the left isn't about aspiration. I'm about aspiration. I'm about supporting the individual to get on, to buy the house, to get the two cars in the driveway, all that nonsense, right? I don't want two cars, I just want a van that works. That's what I want. <laughs> At least I can sleep in a van if it comes to it, right? But, but in, all, in seriousness, in all seriousness, no. 
we've all been caught up in this in this kind of treadmill mm. of encouraging us into consumerism, encouraging us into debt, encouraging us into chasing things that we don't need. Yeah. Right? We all know this. Right? We're all caught up in it, whether we like it or not. Right? Yeah? Uh, I always want a nicer bike. Mm. Right? I don't need another bloody bike. Right? But I like my bikes. And that's my indulgence. No, no, push bikes. Uh, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, we're all, we're all caught up in our own wee ways, caught up in that, uh, caught up in that <laughs> utter treadmill. No, no, come, come, no, no, come, no, I'm not letting people interrupt, Aspiration shouldn't be about what you're hoarding for yourself. No. And I say this as somebody who's a hoarder, right? I've got rooms full of bloody books and pamphlets and God knows what. Right? I can't be part of them. I say this as a hoarder. It's, aspiration isn't about what you can accumulate in your lifetime. We'll all be deed, right? Aspiration should be about what you can achieve. Yes, as an individual, can, can you make the best of your talents? Can you make, um, uh, can you make the best of yourself? But can you actually uh, achieve for your whole community? Somebody in your community get, uh, getting on, so to speak, doing well at school, going, going to uni, doing well and all this. That's, that's something the whole community should be proud of. The whole community created them. It's an aspiration for community. And, that can, and when we talk about those individual aspirations in terms of having that, that semi-detached and the two cars and all that stuff, that is absolutely linked, in my view, to the move away from this kind of communal aspiration, which is actually what I think the left should be arguing about. And we should be unashamedly, uh, unashamed in making that case. My aspiration isn't a personal aspiration, it's an aspiration for my class. It's an aspect. Yes, of course I aspire for my daughter. I want her to do well. But I, I want to see all the kids in her class do well. I want to see all the kids in her street do well and in her, in her, in her, in her land do well. And I think we need to just switch, we need to switch off that debate. And there are people, let's be honest, in the Labour Party, who are the, the progress people, the Blairites, who haven't moved on yet. They're still caught up in that culture, in that language that they co-opted from Thatcher. And they need to move on because... Well, you know, when they had the cheek at the time to call themselves modernisers, they're not modernisers now, they're fossils. They need to move on and get the programme. Right, I'm going to have Margaret briefly, and then there's a couple of people that are indicating, and if anyone else wants to ask a question, put your hand up now, because I'm aware that time well, is just going to on. answer your question there, you're talking about housing options, that's what it's referred to by the Scottish Government, they're all right. banging the drama housing options. Mm -hmm have asked and asked and asked, what exactly is this housing options? It's rubbish, boom. Oh. Housing options, we don't have a lot of housing options in Western Bank, I think in Glasgow you'll probably have okay. a wee bit more open tea than we do. Housing options is a council house, a private let, we were bringing in a mortgage. We've never in my 14 years I've been there ever had anybody come through the door that could go and get a mortgage. So, I mean, it's not really a housing option, it's a lot of rubbish <laughs> put out by the Scottish Government to try and bamboozle us all over this housing options and it really is. Okay. As I say, it is really fascinating. People are very engaged with it, but if they put their hands up, more people will be able to come in. It's interesting. I'm now going to be in ill discipline myself, but I was actually thinking about this last night. Um, in terms of the meeting, because where I live, which is at the other, at Craigton, but at the other side, um, across from Bellhouston Park, basically, and I was thinking from basically those houses. Now they're not 
they're not all council house or GHC now, but they were built all the way along Paisley Road West, all the way along to Halfway, and then out by Penalee, and then at the other side of the park, at Moss Park, at Corker Hall Hill, and right into Port. Now, there are pockets of privately owned houses. I'm not talking about the council houses that have been bought. I'm talking about privately built houses, but they are pockets. There are more of them now than there were 25 years ago, but nevertheless, still in the minority. And that was the reality. That was the reality. You know, some of it pre-Second World War and post-Second World War, um, people went in to council house. My, my, my grandparents had a council house, even though my grandfather had, you know, three university degrees and worked as a metallurgist in Houghton's. It was what people do. And when he lived in Moss Heights, there were teachers in Moss Heights, and there was p people that worked in the police force, people that worked in social work. The vast majority of people lived, well, certainly in Scotland, in council housing, you know, and it's, as you say, it's the ideological onslaught, which one did in workers in struggle, basically, because their housing benefit wasn't getting paid if they'd bought yeah, their house. And two, she had that mindset of thinking that people should own their own house, and it's Havers, as our late great comrade Eric Park used to say, you don't own a house anyway, you own a mortgage for 25 <laughs> or 35 or 45 years, and if you're lucky, you might get, you know, to pay it off, and that's assuming you can afford it in the first um, instance. John. Uh, I was going to go back to maybe where that housing policy came from, uh, because it was a housing conservative party research pamphlet produced in 1975, produced just after the Tories had got defeated by the miners and in UCS down the road there. And the question was posed, where did that working class solidarity came from? And they said, look at the communities in Scotland. And the council housing gives them a community solidarity very similar to that in they called Iron Curtain countries. We need to do something about that. We need to develop the private landlord and the housing association sector. We need to change the nature of housing finance and shift the subsidy from the house, which it used to be in, to the individual in terms of need. So instead of housing being a social need, that the country subsidised, now you've got those who are the deserving poor and the undeserving poor and the working class who divided. That's where it came from. It was born out of class, class struggle from the other side. And I was just going to take it back to the issue of rents today, because they're going up. The account on rents in the private sector and for that matter in the public sector. I know that uh, our councillor there has talked about that himself uh, in the past. Mm -hmm. That's what was fought for by Mary Barber in 1916, the cap on rents. And it's still very relevant because the scale of rent increases is massive. Um, I was this chair of the Local Tenants Association here. There's a, a house just down there, 900 uh, Govan Road. It's, it's a housing association house, and it's rent put up by the housing rent panel 
from £2,900 a year to £4,000. Sorry, £4,000 a year. Um, that's how rents are being changed. That's in the public sector, let alone in the private sector. Uh, and if you had statutory powers, and I think they could be got if the government wanted to impose them in Scotland, you could impose that kind of cap, which would start to make the extortion of private landlords impossible and start to take us back to the mindset where you're starting to create housing as a social good. It's provided by the state. Okay, I'm going to take I've got a couple more people indicating. If there's anyone else indicate now, because I think what we'll do is take these two or three more points. And I'm going to take the people might that haven't come in first, but if there's time, we'll take you two. Um, and then we'll ask Matt and Margaret to make some concluding remarks. And Matt, you can produce 500 word paper for John, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't know if it would be up to his standards, but... The question for yourself, Matt, you said you were jealous of the position of, of Western Barcher with all the council and housing. I was just wondering if you ever thought a similar model is ever realistically possible for people coming. Okay, right. Okay. Tom? Yeah. Um, you, I, want, I want to see someone who goes to democracy and local government, because Matt quite a few times said how he was blocked and doing certain things. Uh, and um, I would argue that uh, Glasgow is the same as Western Berkshire in, in that it's not councillors that run the council, it's the uh, chief officers. Now, in the Clyde process week, there's a joint letter from the three trade unions, United, GMB and Unison, complaining about the wage rise that the chief executive got. Should be eight grand of a rise, what's that, 160 a week rise, you know, while the only workers have been getting 1%. And I think we're bad to get nothing, you know, uh, which is a real, a real cut, a real uh, cut, a real cut down inflation. So uh, we're complaining about that, but these are the people who are blocking any sort of progressive move by by the politicians. Uh, and that's if you get a progressive move by the politicians. I've got to say that in Western Berkshire, they run with the SNP, uh, and the, the calibre is diabolical. Uh, and by the way, Labour before that, they did too much better than that. It was diabolical. We don't challenge, we don't challenge uh, these officers mm -hmm. who are determined to carry through the government cuts, be it from Westminster or Hollywood. And uh, I know the conveners have got a meeting, that I think it's Thursday, from the fourth trade unions, been at EI yesterday. And on that agenda is who runs this council. Now, I was raising that about 15, 20 years ago. In Western Berkshire, uh, and it's, nothing's changed, it's still the same. The, the, the councils only come to us uh, prior to elections. We, we run the Claybank Trades Council, we've run uh, two hustings in the last local elections, and the councils have fallen over so they please the trade unions, and that'll go to Teddy Kinnearers. So there's a lack of politics among a lot of these elected members, and they're quite well to pick up the money uh, that they get. Especially if you can chair a committee, they're quite well re rewarded. And the only time to near the trade unions, as I said, is election time. So I would argue, Matt, that it's time elected members got in tow with the trade unions and the community groups and started to push, push through uh, a left agenda. 
Uh, and my final point is, Mag said that she's no political, which might be part political. Yes, I think what she said today was very political. Mick, I'll take you as the last well, uh, just, brief point. Just, uh, just, very, very, just very quick, George said about um, you know, changing kind of mindset and, and, and all the rest of it. You, take that, I mean, you, can go, you can go right across the board here from housing to education, be it uh, uh, local government or uh, uh, national government or throughout Britain. Uh, the, the, the politicians always talk about oh, we're, you know, you know, we're ploughing money in as if it's a burden to housing or education. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be seen like that. But this is uh, properly housed people, uh, safely housed people, um, uh, with uh, 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 you know, a, a proper investment in, the, in an education. It's, a, it's, it's something to it's a, it's a proper investment, not a burden. Yeah. You know, it's something that, that helps to create a sense of communities and stuff like that. Right, thanks very much. Okay, I'm going to ask both the speakers to make some concluding remarks and I mean take your time and you can come back on again. Margaret. Just that remark. Okay, then. That's fine. Okay, um can I just round up a couple of comments yeah. that just came in at the end there? <laughs> Right control, this has been a being by bonnet for a very, very long time. The Council's just passed something um, in relation to a, a Scottish Government Act that came through, um, and it was rent pressure zones. And it is, you know, we passed it, it passed unanimously, you know, because it's better than nothing, but it's pretty, pretty weak stuff. Um, and the, you know, I know there were attempts to amend it in Parliament that were defeated. Uh, I think James Kelly actually was, was, pushing, was pushing that proper rent controls. I actually think what should really happen there is local authorities should just be uh, fully empowered there through the powers of general competence to actually find their own way of uh, controlling rents in their own areas because actually I think the way to control rents in rural areas would probably, you'd probably have to look at a slightly different methodology or process than you would maybe in urban areas. I think there should be a little bit of flexibility and, and actually I don't think it should be limited just to oh, we'll control the increases a wee bit because that's all it is. That's, a, 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 that's, that's the pushing the, the present legislation as far as I'll go. You can control the, control the increases a wee bit. I think that's nonsense. I think we should be able to set absolute rents. Now that, that, that would set the cat amongst the pigeons both within the own party and, and beyond, but I, frankly I don't care. I think that's what, what is actually required if we're going to get the same change that, that is needed. You know, de powers like that need to be in, in democrat democratic control, which kind of takes us neatly to, to Dan's point about, about um, who's re who really runs the councils. I have an enormous amount of sympathy <laughs> with what you said. Um, having, having sat um, as a convener, of course, I'm sitting in opposition now. I have to say, um, <coughs> and if the officers were covering the council uh, uh, before, why here they're running it now, all right? Um, because there's been no, commi uh, no committees met in the council for six months since the election. We only just started meeting last week. So um, there's been one meeting of finance and audit, audit that took place uh, last week, and there's going to be a, a budget set in February. So, um, are the, council, are, are the officers running the council? Damn tootin' they're running the council now. And I, 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 I dread to think, actually, what's going to come out the other end of that. And I also have serious concerns, just a, a, a you know, bureaucratic point of view, um, in terms of, you know, are Audit Scotland going to get interested in this? Because there hasn't been a proper audit of our books now because of this. So there's nothing, literally nothing has happened in the council in six months. It's astounding. 
um, they've decided to dissolve all committees. Rather than continue with the old structure before they come up with the new structure, they just dissolve all committees. I mean, I, I, so that compounded an error that was already there that you've identified. I understand that what happened, it happens at all levels of government. You get a minister in or a convener in, and they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're not a social worker, they're not a worker, and they're, they're plonked in, and they might have a, their political agenda, but it's, I, having been there and done that, it's very easy to get deflected. Very easy to get deflected indeed. I think I tried my best, but clearly, if I had my time again, there's things I would do slightly differently and a bit older and wiser now. Um, but yes, we need politicians who are more political, because let's be honest, with a small p, there are officers who, are, uh, who can be political in, 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 in sense that they will follow an agenda that they want to follow. I think a very good example of that is the, is the equal pay situation in Glasgow, actually. Um, where the will almost the Glasgow City Council will almost certainly appeal that because there is because I I know Susan Aiken will be getting the advice that everybody else got. You have a fiduciary duty to challenge this, and it will be it will be challenged. And even if just to clarify the situation, right? I mean, there's, a, there's an argument that actually you kind of need that even to start the negotiations to know where you stand. But we'll leave that stick to the wall. But the point is that I think that's an example of how officers can lead you, lead you by the nose a wee bit as politicians. And so I, I take that criticism on the chin and say, I think I, was, I wasn't as bad as some, but uh, I accept that I, you know, that um, maybe, maybe there's some things I would have done a little bit differently. I, I learned a lot in my period. Um, and if I had another crack at it, I would do some things a differently indeed. Um, Language and burden of investment, Morris, I think that was a, a, an, an excellent point. I get this, I hear this a lot with pensions. You know. um, you know, it's, a big, it's a dispute in my, my union right now is about to go into, into dispute um, in the Royal Mail, and one of the big key issues is pensions. You know, this is a burden on the company and all this. Pensions aren't a burden on the company. Pensions are not a burden on the state. Either. What they are are deferred wages. Right? And we have to, again, have to change the language around that. They are deferred wages. You paid into them um, with an expectation of something coming out the other end. And there was a deal signed. In the case of pensions, it was literally signed. In, 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 in other instances, it's unsigned. The social contract, if you like, that, we, we, that, that, was, that, that was in place for uh, much of the last 50, 60 years, which has just been, uh, it's been systematically destroyed for the last 30. There's a there's a, there's a point there about, about people meeting their obligations. And it's about, it's about obligation. And I don't mean obligation in a way, oh, no, oh, no, terrible out. No, it's about you doing the right thing. Promises were made um, to my grandfather's generation, to my mum's generation, to my, to my mother's generation as well. Not many promises have been made to my generation. And I, I dread to think what kind of promises were made to my daughters. But I intend to spend what the time I've got left in this earth making sure that there are just decent promises made to her generation and the generation beyond it, and that they're met. Because there's no, no good reason why they can't be met. It is, it is important that assets, that uh, investment, are passed on through the generations in a communal way that, 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 is, that supports all and gives all a fair break, because we will all benefit when that happens. And it's not so supporting people, whether it's the welfare system, people who are, are sick, people who are disabled, um, people um, who are homeless um, through what, for whatever reason. That, isn't, that shouldn't be regarded as a burden. That should be regarded as your duty as a decent human being and as a decent government. 
And when I, when, when I, I got a lot of that time in, uh, in uni, and they, they, they said to me, what's the first duty of a government? First duty of a government is security. And I'm pretty sure the lecturer that said that, uh, this is a geography lecture, incidentally, you know, not a politic, you know, politics lecture. But he said, first duty of a, of, a, of a state is security. And I'm sure in his mind he was thinking army and all the rest of it. If you go to the birth of the state, that was the case. It's, it's different now. And I'm glad that it's different, and it should be different. Security of, 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 the, of the citizens that citizens that put you in those seats should be prime in any politician's mind. And that does mean roof over people's heads. That does mean saying that you can feed people, feed your family uh, uh, and all that. Housing? Well, um, I would love to bring it all back. I'm not just talking about housing. Um, um, I think... The, because of certain deals that were signed, I think it will be difficult for, for the City Council to build housing again in the near future, but, but all political decisions can be reversed. All. And never forget that. Never let any, any politician, even if I pitch up one day and say that it, well, we can't go back on that, we can. If I say that to you, I'm lying. Right? Even if I'm doing it accidentally. Right? All political decisions can be reversed. And I, I, I would love to see the, the housing in Govan in the hands of the people of, of, of Govan and, and beyond and shared according to need, not your ability to buy your way into it. And not then passed on through the generations and feeding that, those, those abhorrent capital accumulations that, are, that have been driving the inequalities in, in, throughout my lifetime. I'm saying this as an absolute hypocrite. I have a mortgage. I got a mortgage though because it was cheaper than, getting a, than renting. You know, that, 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 there are people in this room that have known me for a long time. I had no intention of buying anything ever on, on ideological terms. But I, I, uh, I ended up doing it because I couldn't afford to rent, and it was the only way through, uh, through. I don't think that that should be something that anybody has to worry about. Housing is a right. It's a fundamental service that the, the art the state should be providing through whatever means, should it, should it be through local housing co-ops supporting them, should it be through local authorities, whatever way a community finds the best way to organise it, the state should be better be standing full square behind them and, it, and these assets should be in the hands, to quote the, 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 the cliche that's very uh, in, in my party right now, in the hands of the many, not the few, because those few are getting fewer by the day and those, those few are getting richer by the mm. day. If we don't do something about that, our economy is going to fall around, down around our heels. Thanks very much. That's me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Right. coughs> Just sitting last night, <coughs> night, we can talk and we can talk and we can talk. See, until people start taking action, nothing's going to change. We've sat here the night, we've listened to homeless legislation's not been followed, we're correcting the law, and it's been accepted. That, I mean, that is an acceptance of yours, Matt, that came across for me. I know, well, you, know you know it's happening, we're, we're, but, but it, there's, an, it. there's an acceptance mm -hmm. there that it's happening. I mean, that's not good enough. The, we, we, everybody knows there's people with the roof of their head, and that's just not right. Again, Matt, I'm not picking on you or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> elected members but yeah. taking their salaries <laughs> and not doing what they're elected today. I mean, see, if you're a convener or something, you, there's nothing to stop you going to the, the, the floor mm -hmm. and going out with the people in the front line, because I'll tell you the news, see, the officers, even just one above you, don't really know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the service <laughs> and they don't understand the running of the service. So there's no excuse for a convener 
at any department, any elected member, not to go down onto the front line and understand that service right. If you really want to make a difference, that's where you're going to mm -hmm. make it. Instead of mixing just with the senior officers that are feeding you lies. We, we had an incident in, in Homeless where we were lost in 18 posts. There's only lost 24 of us. And they put a, a report to council. And unbeknown to them at half four on a Friday night, I put a report to every councillor and the whole council as well, putting our fight forward. Our figures were much better than them, they were more accurate. Every statistic that you read in the papers, they're, they're all rubbish. They're made up to fit whoever's agendas there. And the other thing is, we've just listened up equal pay for women. We've got a job evaluation scheme in every local authority. And it is manipulated within an inch of its life. We all know that women workers are still not being treated equally and they're never going to be until we start taking action. So until we start getting together, nothing's going to change. I'd like to thank both the speakers who've both made outstanding contributions. And I'm sure we'll hear from them both again, I hope so, in a future meetings. There's so much to talk about and so much to plan, as you say, but in terms of action, you know, we could meet here same time next week, you know, for the rest of our lives, essentially, but, um, well, hopefully things will change. Hopefully things, well, things are certainly changing in terms of the situation in, in the Labour Party and the Labour movement, hopefully, significant changes in the last couple of years.